was wonderful. Are you preaching in English? <laughs> in English, yes. Could you stand, please? And we're reading from Romans 15, chapter 17. Romans 15, starting with verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought, also, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the peace of God be with you all. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Uh, I want to ask you if you could pray with me, and we ask, let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time with the Word this morning. Father, we give you thanks uh, this day, beautiful day you've given us. Thank you, Father, because... We were able to sing worship to you, the songs that uh, these brothers and sisters have prepared. And Father, as we come now to your word, uh, I pray that you would use me, give me wisdom, uh, give me uh, the, the words to say, the courage to speak your truth this morning. And we, may we be blessed and challenged and your name be glorified uh, as we listen to your word at this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're in Romans chapter 15, verse 17 through 33, and uh, in your sheets there is a proposition 
this is what I would like for us to consider as we go through these three points that we have this morning. And what I would like for us to, to consider is this, is that what truly matters is the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the life of the church as it reaches the lost around her by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at three uh, points this morning. The first one is uh, our conviction. And I believe that in the first verses from 17 to 21, Paul shares with us his conviction about why he believes it's so important to commit to evangelism. And then also we'll see how this, this conviction translates into the communion of the church as believers uh, interact with each other, uh, as they uh, are refreshed in each other's company. And then lastly, we will see where the charge, our charge, you know, what is his appeal to us? And in doing so, we will see where the power to do this work comes from. And so I would like starting, first of all, with a question that we may consider our lives are present. And the question is this, what makes you proud? What are you proud of? You know, I've, I was, as I was meditating on this, I was thinking about one of the things that I'm most proud of at this moment is, is my little baby girl. She's the first girl in our family. All of my brothers, we're all uh, sibling brothers in our family. And so this is the first little girl in our home. And I often find myself sending pictures and sending videos to uh, my parents and to my in-laws. Uh, you know, she said her first word. Uh, she climbed up the, the, the parking, uh, the park. There's a, a park close to Pastor Rod and Elliot's house, and they have big bars. And I was very surprised when she went up there and she climbed all the way to the top. I was like, yeah, I'm so happy for you, Ilana. Good job. You know, so I'm proud of her. And I can imagine you also have things that you are very proud of as well. What are you proud of? It could be your grandchildren. It could be uh, the family that God has given you. Um, as students, we're proud of uh, perhaps the school that we're going to. And uh, we, there's many things that we can be proud of. But I want, what I want to challenge you with is what Paul says here. And what we as believers should be proud of, he says here in verse 17 and, and onward. He says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And he adds, he says, I will dare not speak of anything. And remember, uh, Paul wasn't just a nobody. He was a great scholar. He was the top of the Pharisees. He was a a doctor in the law. He was well-respected in society. He had everything, education, status, position. But he says, I will not speak of those things. I will dare not talk about those things of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That's his conviction. And that's what I want to share with you and challenge you this morning is that all these other things, yes, they're, they're good, uh, they're important things, but the one primary thing that we as believers should be proud of is what Christ is doing and has been doing through us. What Christ has accomplished through us. And he talks about this, this work in diff different ways. In verse 17, he says, it is my work for God. 
uh, in verse 19, it says, ministry of the gospel of Christ. In verse 20, he says, he refers to it as the gospel. And then he gives an example from Isaiah 52. In the last part of this verse, in verse 21, it says, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting uh, Isaiah 52, verse 15. And as, as you know, Isaiah, this, this chapter is the chapter of the suffering servant. It's the first time in the, in the Bible that God presents his plan of redemption through, we don't know his name yet, but we know it's Jesus Christ, and it presents uh, a very clear uh, plan for his suffering and redemption of mankind for the sins. And so he, he mentions this work that he's proud of as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must let uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ make its work in us. And so Paul understands, uh, through these verses, Paul understands that the plan of God is an ageless plan of God. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. So this ageless plan of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he's so excited because he gets to be a part of this timeless plan of God. And, he's, and he adds, he says in verse uh, 18, he says, I will dare not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by bringing the Gentiles to obedience. And this is another way of saying the, 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 the work of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, my aim, my desire is to have uh, the Gentiles come and submit and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's excited about to be a part of this plan, and this is what makes him proud. You know, as uh, Ilana is our firstborn, and we have another little guy on the way, um, I was almost expecting it to be a girl just because it would be easier. We already know what it is to raise a little girl so far. We're not experts, but we're, it's, it's easier for us. We already have the things for her. Um, but we found out that the little one that's coming is, is a boy. And we are already starting to pray. Uh, we've been starting to pray for, for them. And I know that as parents, we want the best for our children, right? We want them to be healthy. We want them to uh, grow up and be good, good boys, good girls. We want them to have a good life. And so we work to inherit them a good, comfortable, earthly life. But I want to challenge you to think about what's really important. Because my wife and I, what we've been praying is, and I often find myself saying this, I say, Lord, please, there's only one thing I ask, and is that both my, my daughter and my little boy will one day come to know you as Savior. All other, all, everything else is, is secondary. And so I often find myself praying that way. Why? Because I know that that is what truly matters. And I hope, brothers and sisters, that you're also convinced that what truly matters is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is doing through, through you, through me, uh, and through our, our children. So, he's, so this is his conviction. And he, we will ex examine more about this and we'll first look at this user's question. It says, how? How is he accomplishing this work? He says in verse 18, 
He says, uh, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, he says, by word and deed. By word and deed. What does that mean? Oh, well, his preaching, you know, his teaching. Uh, and that, was, that wasn't the only time that he was uh, doing the work of God. He's also talking to people, conversing with them while he's on the street, while he's doing his day-to-day things. Uh, he also says, by deed, his his actions, his acts of kindness, his holy living. And so what we see here, uh, brothers and sisters, is that the way that he's doing the work of God is by his living. That's what we have in the proposition that the work of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the life of the church is not what we just, what we say, it's what we, what we live. So we're called, brothers, to to proclaim the work of God by word, by deed, and then he says, uh, by the power of signs and wonders. And so Paul was, wasn't just preaching and teaching and talking to people and living a life that uh, correlates to what he's preaching, but he's also doing miracles, uh, healing people that are sick, casting out demons. But it's not in the power of himself. He says here at the end, he says, by the power of the Spirit of God. So he understands that the work that he's doing, all these great things that he's able to do, the power to live, the power to speak the word is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a good reminder for us to understand that the work of evangelism and the the title of of this message is Refreshing Evangelism. Is when you must understand that this work that we do is not our own, but it is of God. And because it is of God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that what, what his conviction is, we see uh, how he's accomplishing it, and now we're going to see where it's reaching. Uh, now it says here in verse 19 that, uh, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, I, I looked, where, where is Illyricum? You know, it's in the east of Italy, what is now Italy, on the southern part. And I measured the distance between Jerusalem and Illyricum. And it's a, roughly 1,100 miles. So this is like saying from San Francisco all the way to Denver, Colorado from San Francisco to El Paso, Texas. So oh, remember, this, Paul, is, Paul is doing this work. He says, I have endeavored this, to, to preach the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, verse 19. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So, he is so convicted, he has this, this uh, conviction in, in his heart that he says, I have fulfilled this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically to those who haven't heard. So I want to share with you three applications from this first point. Number one, um, as a believer... I must seek to be proud of what Christ has done through me. Perhaps it might be true this morning that you find yourself, you've prided yourself in other things. 
in material things, in worldly things. And perhaps we have neglected uh, to pride ourselves in the work that really matters. Secondly, are my words and my deeds helping my gospel witness or are they hindering it? How does your life correspond to what you proclaim? And then number three, what are areas around me that need to hear about Jesus Christ? Paul went first for Jerusalem all the way around. And obviously, um, the first thing that I want us to think about is in your home, in your family. That's your Jerusalem. Uh, think about your town and then progress outward. So the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the life of the church as it reaches the lost around her by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what we as believers should desire to be proud of. And once I am convinced that this is true, uh, this desire is to be true in my life, then I'll be ready to practice an evangelism that refreshes. And we see that in our communion as believers. In verse 22, uh, chapter 15, verse 22, it says this. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. First we see here that... Uh, this communion, the sweet communion that Paul has with the church in Rome has overcome physical boundaries. Remember, uh, Paul, he says, I have longed, I have desired to come and see you. Why is that? Because he has been prevented from doing so. And it says here in, uh, in verse 22, it says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. What does that mean? Well, he's saying, my ambition is to fill uh, this area between Jerusalem and Illyricum with the gospel. And once I have filled that with the gospel, then I will come and see you. So that's the reason why he has been hindered. It's his desire to fill the gospel in this area. And so verse 23 says, now that I no longer have this, this work in these religions, now I can come to see you. And I want you to, to notice uh, what the words that Paul describes in his desire for, for fellowship with the believers in Rome. It says in verse 23, it says, I have longed for many years to come to you. Uh, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. You know, uh, the, last, the couple of days that we've been here, uh, me and my wife have really, really, truly enjoyed our time with you. Uh, first of all, we've been enjoyed Pastor Rod and Elliot's company. 
um, Kristen was a little bit, little bit nervous coming. She was like, oh, what are they going to think about me? Are they going to like me? And I said, I love you, baby. You're the best thing about us, so everyone's going to love you too. And just meeting with the men last night was such a wonderful time, meeting with the elders. So we enjoy your company. And I'm sure that when Crisia goes and have, uh, has the, the meeting with the women, she will love that as well. And so we see here that the same thing is going on with Paul. He says, I, I, I long to see you. I want to be, enjoy your company. And verse 32, it tells us, if we can jump to verse 32, it says, the last part, it says, so that my, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. How is this possible? How can uh, these people that don't know each other, that don't, perhaps they haven't spent enough time together to have this kind of relationship, how can they be able to say these things? Uh, I want to give you examples of people that I have endeavored and collaborated with Paul. And in chapter 16, verse 1 through 16, gives us a list of all these people. They're individuals, they're couples, they're men, they're women, they are families. And, and listen to how Paul describes them. Now, um, a question about this was, well, if... if Paul hadn't been to Rome, how does he know these people? And the answer is this. Um, Paul knows these people because some of these people he has worked with before. He has come in contact with before. And other of these people he knows through, uh, through for, for example, um, when, I, when I tell Pastor Rod about our brother in church, he knows about him because I told him about him. So uh, I guess you call that third-hand account. So he knows these people through this. And listen to what it says here, first of all, with this believer whose name is Phoebe in verse 1 of 16. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at St. Craig, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So we have this woman, Phoebe, who says she has uh, sponsored Paul and many others. We also have the, sec the verse 3, uh, a couple, uh, Prisa and Aquila. It says, Greet Prisa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. What did they do? It says they risked their necks for my life. Uh, we have Mary, who's a hard worker. We have uh, Andronicus and, Ju and Junia in verse 7. Who, who Paul says in verse 7, there are fellow prisoners. So these people had been serving with Paul before. They went to jail. They, maybe they're still in jail. And Paul thinks about them. Then we have in verse 10, he says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulo. So this is a family that has probably received Paul, uh, welcomed them in their home. Um, had them for a time. Then we have these siblings in verse 17. It says, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. And then we have in verse 13, it says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. So we have all these people, uh, and those is, this is not the only people he can 
uh, read and see what other people have, have, who have collaborated with him. But these are people who are examples of a communion with Paul that refreshes him, that encourages him, that gives him strength. And so I want to challenge you this morning, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are young or older, whether you are single or whether you have a family, you are able to be used of God to further the gospel to the lost, to refresh and to encourage those who preach the gospel outside of uh, Castro Valley. Let us, and second, let us think of ways in which I can strengthen, encourage, or refresh those who preach the gospel of Christ. So we have examples of all areas of, of life, young, old, men, women, who are convinced, as Paul, that what truly matters is to proclaim the gospel of Christ to the lost. And so a believer who is committed in letting the gospel of Christ work in him will be a blessing in his communion with fellow believers, but also in the sharing of his material blessing. And that's what we see here in verse uh, 25. Paul talks about, he says, uh, at present, he says, I want to go to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. And if we look back at Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, we will see the reason why the saints in Jerusalem are having such a hard time. If you go with me to, to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 we have the backdrop story to the reason why these saints in Jerusalem are suffering. And Paul sees a need to bring aid to the saints. It says in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 8, uh, we realize in this context that uh, Stephen uh, is, this is where we find his martyrdom. And it says in verse 1 that Saul approved of his execution. We know Saul is, later becomes known as Paul, right? And it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But listen to this. But Saul was ravaging the church. This, this word ravaging, um, I don't know if, if there are hunters here in the church, but this, this is a hunting word. And it, it describes when a hunter is going after his prey, the animal, and he's, and, and he's uh, uh, keeping close with him and not surrendering and diligently seeking out to kill him. So this word says, Paul was ravaging the church, entering house to house, and describes this, this persecution, he says, and he was dragging men and women and putting him in prison. And so this is the great persecution that's happening to the believers in Jerusalem. And this is why we find here in Romans chapter 15, it says, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. What kind of aid? It says that Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. The first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So we see here that Paul has a habit, and in the last part of Acts, we also find when he's uh, uh, making his defense to the governor, he says, you know, I was on my way sending, bringing this gift to Jerusalem. So he has a habit of all these places that Paul goes, he's collecting aid for the saints. And I can't help but wonder, perhaps Paul feels so guilty for all the persecution that he did, that now he has this desire to, to always bring aid to the saints in Jerusalem. And the people that are helping in this area are the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, these, the, these regions in Macedonia and Achaia are what you now know as the country of Greece. It's the southern part of Greece. And uh, Macedonia is a region, and there's churches there, and some of the churches that belong to that region, uh, you've heard of before. Uh, some of them are the church of Berea. Uh, other ones are the church of uh, Thessalonica, you know, when we have our book, Thessalonians, and the church of Philippi. So these are, these are churches that are in this region. And when Paul says, these, these churches, these saints in Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make this contribution. It's talking about these churches. They're giving this offering for the saints that are suffering. But not only are they sending this, this aid to the poor, but they also support Paul's ministry. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Verse 8 through 9. And the interesting thing about the church in, in Corinth is that uh, one of the reasons why Paul writes the, the book of Corinthians is because he's defending his apostleship. There are people that were criticizing, accusing him of being uh, a false apostle. And so um, he decides, he says, I don't want to receive any aid from believers in Corinth, and listen to what he says in verse 8 of chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians. He says, I rob other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So we see here this example from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia that they're not only supporting uh, the, the suffering saints in Jerusalem, but they're also supporting Paul's ministry. Now, I can't help but think, wow, if these churches are supporting the, sa the poor saints and also supporting Paul, they must be rich churches, right? They must be wealthy believers. But that is not the case. And I'd like for you to look at also, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6, it says, We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. There again, we have this region of Macedonia, church of Berea, Philippi, Thessalonica. It says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So was the church of Macedonia and Achaia, were they wealthy believers? No. In fact, it says they were in severe affliction. It doesn't describe or give us any more details about what severe affliction they're suffering. It also says they were in what kind of poverty? In extreme poverty. But you know what was different about these believers? Despite them being in severe affliction, despite them being in extreme poverty, it says they were full of what? Joy. They were full of joy and they gave generously. They didn't just give generously. They begged Paul to give. Paul was saying, no, 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 it's okay. No, you need it more than I do. You need it. Worry about yourself. And they said, please, please, Paul, please, don't take this away from us. That is amazing to, to, to see these believers who were poor, who were afflicted, but they were convinced of one thing, that the gospel of Christ was worth them giving of themselves so that other people might hear about the Lord. And verse 5 tells us the reason why they can do this. It says they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, they were convinced that what truly matters is what Christ was doing through them. That's what truly matters. Above the material things, above their physical well-being on here on earth, that is what really made them proud. So we find here, brothers and sisters, that the believer's giving is an act of worship because we give ourselves first to the Lord, and if we give ourselves first to the Lord, then what flows from our heart is what is, is given to the Lord in our offerings. Secondly, we find from example of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia that all believers are capable of giving according to their strength for the furtherance of the gospel in your home and beyond. And third, we see here there's a, there's a communion. You know, there's in... in uh, if we look ahead in chapter 9, I want to read to you verse 10 through 15. We find that this, these people that are giving and these people that are receiving, uh, there is a relationship, there is a, a love, an edification that grows through this grace of God, which is giving. It says here in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to this. It says, you will be enriched 
in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So Paul points out, points out a few things. One, when you give for the furtherance of the gospel, you're, you are obedient to the gospel of God. It says you're bringing thanksgiving to him. You are glorifying God. And it says here in the last part, we, we find that there's a longing in a prayer between those who are giving and those who are receiving. And God's name is glorified. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So we find, brothers and sisters, that as a church, if we are convinced of the same thing that Paul says here, he says, I dare not speak of anything except what Christ has done through me. If we're able to, to be convicted of that, and as a church, well, we all uh, are on the same page, then we will see, first of all, that our communion will be sweet. We will find ways to further the gospel through our giving. But we can't do it on our own. It's not man's work. It's not the pastor's work. We find here in the last part of this verse, in verse 30 to 33, we find our charge, the charge. And Paul starts out by saying, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So we find here, first of all, it's an appeal. And the words here that says, by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we understand that Paul recognizes that this is God's work. It's not man's work. It's not my work. The work that your missionaries do in other parts of the world uh, is not man's work. It is God's work. And because it is God's work, he appeals to them, to these brothers and sisters, and he says, strive together with me in your prayers. You know, this, this word strive that we find here in Romans only happens one other time. And what it means is it's, it, it literally means struggle together. Kind of gives you a different perspective of what prayer is, right? It's a struggle. And he charges and he appeals to believers. He says, Struggle with me in your prayers for two things. First thing is says that Paul be delivered from um, the unbelievers in Judea. Remember that persecution that we saw in Acts chapter 8. So he's asking not just for physical protection, but also a protection in his ministry from the attacks, verbal attacks, and the lies and the confrontation the, that, they, that they were spreading. 
Does that, that I may be delivered from unbelievers. And number two, that the offering will be accepted by the believers in Jerusalem. Well, what offering is he talking about? Talking about that aid. You know, he's bringing in from Macedonia and Achaia and all these churches. He says that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. The result of uh, the prayer that he asks of his brothers is, in verse 32, it says, I want to come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. That Paul arrives with joy is a result of answered prayer and that Paul is refreshed by being in the believer's company in Rome is a result of these prayers, to be renewed in strength. So church, we must recognize that this work is not a human work, but it's God's work. And because it is God's work, it requires his power and his protection. That's why it's important for us not just to go, not just to, to testify of the gospel of Christ, not just to, to give of your offerings for the work of the gospel of Christ, but it's important that we also pray, that we struggle, that we strive to pray. So the question is, are you praying that the gospel of Christ will come out forth from this place and fill uh, your town, your city, San Francisco, Hayward, Castro Valley? Are you praying for the gospel of Christ to uh, break the hard hearts of the unbelievers? Are you praying that the gospel of Christ will reach the heart of your children, of your spouse? You must recognize that this is God's work, and because it is God's work, we need his power and we need his protection. Secondly, are we committed to strive together in prayer for the furtherance of the gospel? And I would challenge you, brothers and sisters, to to strive to pray, to be a church that prays, not just that gives, but also that prays. So in conclusion, I want to go back to our proposition. And I'll read it one, one more time. And I challenge you to be convinced of this thing, that what truly matters what as believers I should be proud of is what Christ has been doing, is doing through me, through the life of the church, as it reaches the lost around her by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what, how does it look like for you? What does it look like for you to be convinced of this very thing, to be a, a a church that evangelizes. We saw here in chapter 16 of these different people. There was men, there, was, there were women, there were couples, there were families. It may be that you have to be a little bit braver at work in your school to talk to others about Jesus Christ. Perhaps it may be uh, hosting, being a family that welcomes uh, people into your home, that welcomes uh, missionaries or evangelists in your home. It may be something so easy as just offering your companionship to them. We find here that this refreshes, encourages, and it also means that as a church, we are praying that the gospel will 
find no obstacles, no boundaries, and that it will go forth with power and with liberty to reach the to reach the unlost where they are. So are you being that church? Are you willing to commit yourselves first to the Lord? We will close in the word of prayer. And as we pray, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, I ask, I challenge you to be obedient to him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that, uh, first of all, someone brought the gospel to us. And Lord, maybe we are looking for ways in which I can be that kind of uh, person, that believer that says, if I pride myself in this, may it be what Christ is doing through me. And Lord, we want to be used of you. We want to uh, be instruments in your hand to reach our loved ones, our family members for you. Father, we ask this morning that your word will find a place in our hearts and that you will give us the courage and the wisdom to be obedient. And we pray, amen.